All right, guys. James tonight, chapter 2. You can turn there. James chapter 2. And uh, we're going to jump in in verse 14 and finish this chapter out. James chapter 2, verses 14 to 26. As we jump into this text tonight, you may not know this, or maybe you do. This is a very controversial text. And why it's controversial is many people feel that James, in particular in verses 14 to 26, is contradicting Paul. Uh, the Apostle Paul and some of the Apostle Paul's teaching in regards to salvation and justification and faith and works. And uh, I'm here to, to encourage you and to put this to rest that there is not a contradiction between James' teaching and Paul's teaching. Uh, and a better way to put it is that God is not contradicting himself because these men, these writers of Scripture were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And the origin uh, of the Word of God is with God. And so we're going to see that tonight. I think it's going to be helpful to see and give some clarity about what James is saying, uh, but he speaks about faith and works tonight. So pick up verse 14. Uh, I'll read. You can follow along there. James asks, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that, there, that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Again, a great portion of God's word to look at tonight. And I think, again, some controversy in how this is interpreted and how people read this. And I believe the reason there's controversy is because there's a misunderstanding and misinterpretation of a lot of what James says here that will hope to bring clarity and see how this is very consistent with what Paul taught, what Jesus taught, and others taught as well. So I um, want to make a few points tonight, some truths from the passage for us. Number one, there are those who claim to have saving faith, and yet they are not saved. Uh, guys, this is a, a hugely important point that I think we all have to understand before we can go any further tonight, because what I see in this text and what I believe James is showing in this text is that there are some who say they have faith, but they actually don't have saving faith. Uh, look at the verses, verses 14 to 17, and then verse 26. He says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith? Now, very important. James does not say in this text, what good is it, my brothers, if someone has faith, authentic, true, saving faith. He says, if someone says he has faith. There's a claim being made here, okay? There's a claim being made in, in Paul's I'm sorry, in James' instruction here where he says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? So again, 
excuse me, I gotta take a, a drink real quick. <clears throat> it's an advertisement for Coke Zero. <laughs> he says, can that faith save him? So he again is specifically speaking about what kind of faith? A faith that doesn't produce anything. That's the faith that's in question here, right? He says, if someone claims or says, I have faith, but he does not have works, can that faith save him? And so we have to understand something from the outset. The faith that James is talking about that does not justify a person or is not saving faith is the faith that does not have any production from it. It's the faith that is not producing anything. It's the one who says, I have faith, but there's nothing being produced. There's no fruit that would demonstrate that that faith exists. He says, can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. It's dead. Verse 26 says, as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. So here's the first point I think is very clear that James is making. There are those that will claim to have true saving faith, living faith, authentic faith, that they have faith in Christ, that they're saved, they belong to him, and yet they are not saved. They're dead. And the faith that they claim to have is really no true faith at all, and that's demonstrated by their life. But this is a very important point that we have to understand is that there are those who would claim this, but it's not true. It's not authentic. It's not real. And, and why this is so important is because, listen, guys, in a, in a room with 100 men that come to a Bible study and we all have different backgrounds and different maybe religious backgrounds and different church backgrounds and different, you know, upbringings, you may have heard and known what the gospel of Jesus Christ is you may have even said, yes, I believe in that. I've been taught that. You may have said, I have no reason not to believe that. And you come to study week after week after week. But you have to ask yourself the question as much as I have to ask myself the question, do I truly believe and know Jesus as my Savior? Is my faith real? Is it authentic? Is it true? Do I really belong to him? Am I really his? Because there are those that would claim to know him and to believe in him, but they do not. And so again, James is making something clear. Don't miss it. If someone says he has faith, there's a claim being made, and yet that claim that they're making, that kind of faith that produces nothing, can that faith really be true? Can that faith truly save him? What good is that, he asks. And he gives this illustration of if you see a brother or sister poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and you say to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving what is needed, what good is that? So also faith apart from works is dead. So James is saying, listen, you can go up to someone who has a need and you can say, oh, I help them. They have a need for clothing, and they have a need for food, and you're like, oh, I wish you well. Go be warmed and filled, but you give them no food and no clothing. D did you really then <laughs> help them? Did you really do good to them? No. It's worthless, he says. It's useless. And he says, so it is true about faith without works. Being alone is dead. It's dead. And so there should be uh, evidence. There should be something that shows forth. We should be able to look and see, and he says it should produce something. Claims have been made. But are those claims actually real and true? 
We should be able to examine that claim and come to a conclusion. The other day, we were at a restaurant, and someone at our table ordered a regular Coke, and someone ordered a Diet Coke. Actually, two people ordered Diet Coke, and one person ordered regular Coke. And so the waiter brought the Cokes to the table, and he was looking. Have you ever had that happen when people order it, and they're like looking at it, trying to figure out which one is which? And so he had the three, and they all looked kind of identical. But if you have ever ordered Coke or Diet Coke, Diet Coke looks a little bit darker. It doesn't look like it has as much bubbles and fizz in it. It's like a little lighter. And it smells pretty distinct from what regular Coke smells like. So literally, this waiter's looking. He's like, yep, this is the Diet. This is the Diet. This is the regular. And I'm like, that is not the regular. I could tell. Okay? And so he walks away from the table, and I'm like, let me see that. And I smelled it, and I'm like, that's Diet. Right? And, and I was right. But how do I know that? I didn't go based upon what he said, right? I had some examination that took place. I knew what to look for to know whether or not something was the diet or the regular. There was a claim made from the person that was making the claim that this is what it is, but I was able to discern that was not true. The claim that was made was not true. It was false based upon the evidence, if you will. This is what James is saying here as he begins this part of the text. Someone is making a claim. I have faith. But the faith that they're claiming to have is a faith that has produced nothing. And James says that kind of faith really isn't true faith. It's not true saving faith. It's dead. It's worthless. It makes me think of the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 7. Many people have said the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 7 are some of the most troubling words that you'll ever hear. The the worst words you could hear if you don't know Christ is in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus said this, enter by the narrow gate. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits, Jesus said. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. This is very similar to what James is saying. There'll be people who are making claims about who they are and who they serve and who they belong to. And Jesus is warning his disciples, you will know them by their fruit. You will be able to see and to discern. And what you see will show you truly what is authentic. He says this in Matthew chapter 7. This is where we're getting to those words that would be so awful to even think about or hear. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Listen to what he said here. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Tells me the same thing James is saying here, is that there are those that claim to be saved, claim to have saving faith, claim to know and believe in Jesus, but they don't. They don't belong to him. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, listen to this, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, and do many mighty works in your name, and I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers 
of lawlessness. These are those words that no one would ever want to hear. Jesus said there are those that make claims that they know and follow him and belong to him, that they are authentically his followers, but you'll know them by their fruit. And in that day, he says that that day, that last day, that people will say, Lord, Lord, we've done this in your name. They're calling him Lord. They're claiming that he's their Lord and master. And he will say, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. You will know them by their fruit. In John 10, 27, Jesus speaks about him being the good shepherd. He says, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. There's an action that follows here. So I think very important as we begin tonight is this understanding to realize there are some who claim to have saving faith and yet they are not saved. They truly don't know Jesus Christ as Savior. If you jump back to verses 10 to 12 that was talked about last week in James chapter 2, James says, whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but you do murder, you've become a transgressor of the law. Jesus made something abundant clear in his time when he talks about this in Matthew 7, about the worker of lawlessness. James reiterates it here in James chapter 2, that we will know if we truly belong to him by our fruit. There are those who claim to know him that don't. And guys, listen, if you're here tonight and you have made a claim that Christ is your savior, if you have made a claim that you have true, authentic, saving faith, but there is nothing in your life that would demonstrate that that is true, you need to examine truly, do you know him? Because there are many who are deceived. And I would go so far as to say, if you're here tonight and there is no evidence of the spirit of God in your life, you really need to understand that it's possible that you're making a claim that you know him and you don't. You can know him. You can truly know him. And you can know him tonight. But understand this point. Some will make the claim that they know him, and yet they are not saved. So let me clear up some things as we get to verses 18 to 20. Number two, true saving faith will be accompanied by good works. True saving faith will be accompanied by good works. You will have production if what you say you believe to be true is actually true in your life. Look at verses 18 to 20. Someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well, even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Now, James is pretty pointed here. He's pretty direct. He basically says to the one who says they have faith but they don't have works, he says, you foolish person. Do you not understand? Don't be a fool. If you're making a claim that something is true, there should be evidence and fruit to show that. True saving faith will be accompanied by good works. What you produce demonstrates if what you say is true is actually true. Imagine if I was planting a garden or you're planting a garden and I had seeds in my hand and I was planting these seeds and I said, hey, these are for peppers and these are for cucumbers and these are for uh, tomatoes. And, and you're looking at me and you're watching and I'm just telling you this and there's no package there's no label that indicates what I'm doing. Now, some of you who might know what seeds look like might be able to tell. That's not what that seed is. You might know right away. But if you're not skilled in that, you don't understand that, what is the only way ultimately you're going to know if what I'm claiming to be true about those seeds is true? It's when it grows, right? And so you can revisit however long it takes and see, did the claim that I just made actually produce what it should produce if I was telling the truth? This is what James is talking about here in this text. 
He says, if someone truly has faith, you should also be able to demonstrate your faith by your works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, faith apart from works is useless. It's useless, he says. So we have to understand this. We have to understand what James is saying here. And he's not saying you are saved or justified in the sight of God by your works. This is where people begin to claim that James is contradicting Paul. Because Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2, right? For by grace you have been saved through faith. And it's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, so that no one may boast. So we would teach as a church, we believe the word of God is very clear, that we are justified before God by grace alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone, right? It's not something we earn. It's not something that we produce in and of ourselves. There are no amount of good works we could do that would earn us the favor of God or cause us to be saved. We are saved by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Paul taught that, and I believe James teaches that, and he understands that. But he talks about faith and not that faith apart from works, uh, I'm sorry, that faith only with works, those works save us, but that true saving faith will produce works. It will be evidenced and it will be seen in what we do. There's common ground here. Yes, the Apostle Paul said, by grace you have been saved through faith, and it's not of yourselves, not of works. But Paul goes on in the very next verse to say, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And so there are a lot of people who would want to claim this idea of like, no, faith saves, it does, but you can completely have true saving faith and there could be no production of works at all and that doesn't mean anything's wrong. That's not what Paul said. Paul said you've been saved and now you're God's workmanship and the purpose of your salvation and God's workmanship is to produce good works that God ordained beforehand that you should walk in them. There's complete consistency here. There's complete consistency with what Paul says and what James says. Paul would say in Titus 3.8, this is a trustworthy saying. I want you to insist on these things that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. Paul talked about this. He reiterated this. He established this as necessary. By the way, so did James. James chapter 1, James already spoke about the fact that it's only at the hand of God. It's only at the hand of God that we have any kind of salvation. It's only at the hand of God that we are his. He says it in James 1.16, don't be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. James even says our regeneration, our salvation, our being born again was by the word of truth. It's the work of God for God. But then James would say that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. He would go on to say that we're to be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving ourselves. And so James and Paul are in complete harmony with what they teach. Many people want to try to say that they're contradicting each other. They're not. Everything is in the context, again, when James introduces someone who claims to have faith, the faith he's claiming to have is one that produces nothing. That faith does not save. That kind of faith does not save. He's not saying works are necessary for salvation. He's saying works are evidence that you're saved. Faith is what you believe. One pastor said, faith is what you believe. It proves itself by how you behave. Faith is what you believe, and it proves itself by how you behave. 
he mentions here, you believe in one God, you do well. Don't you know that even demons believe that? If you remember in chapter 1, James tells us who the recipients were here. The 12 tribes in the dispersion. These are Jews that are receiving this letter. That are scattered abroad because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And so he says, you believe in one God. And, and most commentators and scholars would agree that when, Paul, or when James is saying that to them, every Jew would know right away what he's referring to. They would know immediately what he's referring to. He's referring to the Shema, which is, means to hear. And it's a reference back to Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4, where the nation of Israel and, and the Jewish people would know this in, in Deuteronomy 6, 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. There's a belief in the Lord God. They, they believe in him. They believe that God is real and that they believe that there is one God. And he says, you believe in one God, foundational for them as Jews. You do well, good. He says, do you also want to realize that the demons believe? The demons believe and tremble, he says. One pastor said, the demons have fantastic theology. Like their doctrine's great. You think about when Jesus was on the earth and they had a demon-possessed man in Mark chapter 5 and he fell at Jesus' feet and he was possessed by a legion of demons. Do you remember what they said? They said, we know who you are, the Holy One of God, are you here to destroy us before our time? They have a great grasp of what's coming and who God is and who Jesus is. They know. And they know of their destruction. They know of the judgment that is coming on them. And it's one pastor who said that. He said, you know, they have some great doctrine as far as understanding of doctrine. Like, they claim what was true of Jesus. They know that. Satan demonstrated time and time again, he knows God's word. He knows what God says. And he also knows how to twist that. He knows how to deceive with what even God says. But the demons believe. And, and James is really calling out folks that are saying, hey, listen, as long as I claim to believe, I'm good. As long as I say I have faith, I'm good. That's that first point. There are many who make that claim and they don't belong to him. And he's reiterating and he's reemphasizing again this idea that if that faith is true, true saving faith, it will produce something. It will be accompanied by good works. And so I don't want anybody to misunderstand this tonight. I don't want anybody to understand this tonight. You and I have no justification in the sight of God based upon works that we do. But if we are truly justified in the sight of God, our works that we do will show that. It will produce. True saving faith, true saving faith is not attained by works, but true saving faith produces works. And that's what James is emphasizing here. He's emphasizing not a contradiction, but support for what Christ taught as well as for what the Apostle Paul taught. He says in verse 20, do you want to be shown a foolish person Faith apart from works is useless, he says. It's a very strong statement. It's a very strong statement. Faith apart from works is useless. Leads to point three, similar to point two, but I think there is a little bit of a difference. Good works do not save us, but they demonstrate that we are truly saved. Good works do not save us, but they demonstrate that we're truly saved. Look again at verses 21 to 26. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? He gives three examples here. I like illustrations. 
I'm sure you like illustrations, they're helpful. Well, he uses illustrations that they all would have known about. He says, was not Abraham justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works and the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God. He uses Abraham as an example first here in offering Isaac. Genesis chapter 22. We don't have time to read that. We've read that in the past when we looked at Abraham and Isaac, that story. But in Genesis chapter 22, you can read that story. And most of you probably are familiar with it. But God had already, uh, you know, called Abraham out from his people. And Abraham went and obeyed God. God made promises to Abraham. And one of the promises he made to Abraham was that through Isaac, his seed would be blessed. He would make him as numerous as the sand on the seashore. You wouldn't be able to count it. And in Genesis chapter 22, it's a very puzzling moment, I'm sure, for Abraham and puzzling for the people who, for anybody who would be reading it, thinking like, what was God doing? <laughs> what was God thinking when he would tell Abraham, take your son Isaac, who I told you through him you would be blessed and his seed would be blessed. Take him up and I want you to sacrifice him to me. And so Abraham, next morning, early in the morning, immediately took his son Isaac, took some wood for a, for a burnt offering for a sacrifice and went up to the place that God showed him. And when he saw the place from afar, he told Isaac, let's go up, had Isaac carry the wood put his son Isaac bound on the wood, raised his hand with a knife, and he was going to strike his son Isaac. Demonstrating tremendous faith in God. Belief in what God had told him. That through Isaac your seed will be blessed. You say, well, how do you know that? Because in Hebrews chapter 11, and we talked about this before, the, the passage in Hebrews 11 says that Abraham believed God could raise Isaac from the dead. And that his faith was working together with works just as James said, and he believed God and he showed God. And, and after Abraham was about to do that, you know that story hopefully where God told him, stop, don't take your son and offer him. I, I know that you have faith and you believe in me because you've not even withheld your only son. Abraham had authentic faith. And this action on the part of Abraham demonstrated that that faith truly was real. It was seen in his work. It was seen in his action that he believed God. He believed God. Abraham had already said prior to this that he believed in God and he already said he had faith in God. But his faith and his belief was proven to be true in his action. And even in Genesis 22, after Abraham did this, God says, now I know that you believe. Now I know that you have faith in me. God already knew that. He's all omniscient. He knows those things. But he was saying, and I think it's for the benefit of the reader and those that would be reading this, that God was saying, your actions prove that your faith is authentic and real. And guys, that's exactly what James is saying here. And he uses this as an illustration example. He says, was not Abraham justified by faith when he was willing to offer his son Isaac on the altar? His faith was active. Here's what's interesting is that he talks about the work that he did. Look at the verse because I don't want you to miss this. And maybe I'm just excited about this, but I don't want you to miss it. He says in verse 22, you see that faith was active along with his works. So while Abraham was doing those works, his faith was already present. True faith was already present. That faith was what allowed him to be activated to do what he did. And it was shown to be true by what he did. But the faith was already there. That faith 
allowed him to do what others could look at and say, how could anybody do that? Because he believed God. And God counted it as righteousness towards him. He showed it and he said, wow, this shows that your faith truly is real. He says in verse 24, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And again, James is talking in the context of true living faith and dead faith or useless faith. And he's saying that the faith that justifies is a faith that is alive and active. The faith that is authentic and real, that justifies, is the one that shows that it is accompanied with works. Not because the works save, but because the works show the faith is real. And there's a huge difference. There's a huge difference here. He goes on to share another illustration. He says, in the same way, verse 25, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? Interesting enough that he would use Abraham, who the Jewish people would look at, Father Abraham, he would be someone that they'd be familiar with. They would know this story. And then he uses Rahab as an example for them. And so like he's encompassing everybody. Like this is no different whether you're a Jew or Gentile. It's no different. You are justified by faith, but that faith, true faith, will be seen in your works. It will show that that faith is authentic and real. And again, Rahab is mentioned as someone who was justified and that her faith was something that was shown forth by her actions. And he says that here. And then he goes in verse 26, as the body apart from the spirit is dead. So he's given three examples. The first one's Abraham, the second one's Rahab. But don't miss the third example. And this is probably the most powerful as far as visual for anyone present day when they were reading that, present day for you and I is the third example that we can sometimes glaze right over. This is an example he's giving though in verse 26. He uses the, again, the physical body that you and I can touch and see. He says, as the body apart from the spirit is dead. He's giving this reality. If you've ever seen someone who has passed, if you've ever gone to a funeral, a viewing, and you have someone's body that's there, and you see them, and I've thought this so many times, in particular as a pastor, with people that I know that have loved Christ, and they are vibrant, and they are alive, they are joyful, they are, they are advocates of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you know them, you're like, man, to know them is a joy. And at their funeral service, if they're having a viewing, you see that, and you say, that, that's not them. That is their shell. But they're no longer there. There's a, there's a huge difference between a corpse and a living, breathing body with their soul. We all get that. We all understand that. There's a difference. We would be able to tell someone who, who is, is dead, someone whose spirit has left them, we, we know the difference. And that's the illustration that Paul's giving, the example Paul's give, or James is giving here. I keep saying Paul. He gives this example as the body apart from the spirit is dead. It's no longer that person there. He says, so also. It's how powerful this is, this picture. Faith, faith apart from works is dead. That's, that's a powerful picture, guys. This is what he's saying here. Is that anyone who claims to have faith that does not produce works... Can that faith, again, don't miss it. He doesn't ask, can faith save him? He says, can that faith save him? What kind of faith? The faith that produces nothing. No, that kind of faith can. Because that is dead. That is dead. And that does not save. That's not what God does. God transforms. God transforms. And as the body without the spirit is dead, it's corpse. So it is true of faith that kind of faith, 
that doesn't have any works or fruit to show forth that it's authentic. Powerful picture. Directly to the point he gets here. And again, don't forget, this is in the context of him saying earlier, be doers of the word and not hearers only. This is in the context of him saying, what is pure religion and undefiled before God to visit the orphans and widows in their affliction? This is in the context, again, of him talking about not showing partiality. This is in the context, again, of doing good. Caring for one another, caring for others, doing good to those that have needs. That's the context here. And he says, listen, these are the kind of fruits, these are the kind of works that true, authentic faith should be producing in us. And when those things aren't happening, we really got to ask ourselves the question, is my faith true? Is it real? Is it authentic? First John chapter 3, and I'll close with this before we get into some questions. First John chapter 3, verses 4 to 10, think of this. Ask yourself if you fit into this category or not. He says, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Listen, John is saying essentially the same thing in different words than what James has said, what Paul has said, and what Jesus has said. John says, plain and simple here, look at it. He says, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning for God's seed abides in him. He cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. Now, this isn't to say if you're born of God, you'll never sin. The, this, this is clearly in reference to that they're having this lifestyle and continuing of sinning. They're identified by their sin. Same as when Jesus said in Matthew 7, depart from me, ye workers of iniquity. Their identity was a worker of iniquity. This is who they are. John makes it abundantly clear is that if you say you know God, no one born of God can say he's been born of God and keep on sinning because he's been born of God. And then he makes it crystal clear in case we miss it. Verse 10. This is what James is saying. In James, I believe. By this, it is evident, it is clear, it is known who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. What does he say? Here's how we know if you're a child of God and here's how we know if you're a child of the devil. Look what he says. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. Nor is the one who does not love his brother. You know what John summarizes this as? If the works that we are producing, if what we are showing, if what our life is producing is not works of righteousness, then you are not of God, he says. This is how it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. It is not evident who is the child of God and who is the child of the devil, depending on who says they have faith. That's what James says. Can the one who says he has faith, but has not works, can that say, faith save him? 
John doesn't say the measure of whether we not know God or not is when we claim to know him or we claim to have faith. He says the proof is in the action. What is your life producing? You're not saved by what you do, but if you're saved, what you do will reflect it. That's what James is saying here. And so with that in mind, guys, let me ask you some questions as we go to our tables. Number one, what kind of faith do you have? Would you say you have a vibrant faith? Why? You have a living, vibrant faith? Or would you say if someone were to look at your life, it would be more in that line of a dead faith? There's nothing being produced. There's nothing really happening. Leads me to number two. Look again at verse 19 of chapter two. How is your belief in the Lord different from the belief that the demons have? It's a sobering question to ask. If you're here tonight, you say, I believe, I I have faith. How is that claim of belief different than the demon's belief? What's different about your belief? And what works, number three, are accompanying your faith? How can those works serve as a catalyst for sharing your faith with others? And maybe if, number three, you have to say, I have no works accompanying my faith. If that's the case, guys, one of two things is true. You're either a believer who is living in disobedience to God and there needs to be repentance and there needs to be a turning and there needs to be a demonstration in action that you are a doer of the word. You're going to be obedient to Christ. Or if there's nothing present, you have to ask yourself, do I need for the first time to truly repent of my sin and trust in Jesus Christ as my savior? Both of those things you can do tonight. But they're important questions to ask. What kind of faith do you have How is your belief different in the Lord than those of the demons? And what works are accompanying your faith? How are those works serving as a catalyst for sharing your faith? I'll give you guys some time at your tables. Go ahead and discuss those now, and then we'll wrap things up. We're going to wrap things up. I want to draw your attention to to question number two, and hopefully these were some thought-provoking things at your tables. I want to make some closing kind of statements just to make sure there's no confusion tonight about some things. But I want you to look again at the second question where it asks, how is your faith or your belief different than that of the demons? And uh, I thought it was a very interesting question, but I do think it's a question that is answered very clearly in the text. And so I want you to look at the, the verses with me again. Um, verse 19 says, you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. How is our belief different from the demons? Well, look at the verse that is preceding that verse and the verse right after it because there's a consistency here. Consistency here. He says, someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. Verse 20, do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless. And the big difference between the belief that demons have and true authentic saving faith and belief that we have is that our belief is true and real and authentic should be shown in what we do. That's what he says in this passage. He says, do you want to be shown by my works? Demons believe and tremble. Faith without works is dead. Do you want to show the works? And so I think it's very important to understand that true saving faith and how it separates us from the belief and faith that the demons have is the demons may believe in God and they believe in God, but they're not servants of God. They're not showing forth in their actions that they honor and obey God, and he is not Lord of their life, their master, that he is following or that they are following and that they are producing for. And there's a huge difference. There's a difference in action. There's a difference in what is shown and seen of what true, authentic, saving faith and belief produces in the life of the believer. But I want to make some, just a few things to clarify some stuff. One, I want you to have it crystal clear before you walk out those doors. 
James is not teaching, nor are we teaching, that you are saved by your works. We are not saved by our works. Works do not save us. The work of Christ makes it possible for us to be saved, but we are saved by grace through faith in Christ. And that is not something that we can earn, not something that we can merit, not something that we can get God's attention. He's like, wow, they're really good. I'll save them. It is not based upon what we do. But if you are truly saved, if you're a follower of Christ, it should be seen in what you do. But I also want to make it clear, when you are saved, it does not mean that you'll never sin again. Okay? And I, I want to make that clear. Because James isn't even, he's not even saying that here, that if you're saved, you'll never sin. On the contrary, you see many examples in Scripture where we're called to confess our sins because he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. We're called to hide God's word in our hearts so that we don't sin against God. Job was known as a man who was upright and feared God, and he had to make a covenant with his eyes not to look at a woman with lust. Why? Because he was prone to lust. And so he had to make a covenant with his eyes to not do that. Paul the Apostle talks in Romans 7 about the things he wants to do that he doesn't do and the things he doesn't want to do, he does. When he would do good, evil is present with him. We have examples of men and women of faith that are recorded for us in the word of God that had great faith, true faith, that at times disobeyed or fell short and sinned. Didn't mean their faith wasn't real or true, but they sinned and fell short. As do we. As do we. But I want you to make it like, clear in your mind that what James is pointing out here is that anyone who says they have true faith and there is the absence of any evidence of that faith being real, that is not a real faith. Guys, there should be something in our lives that shows forth that we have been made alive. And if there is nothing there, if there's nothing there, you really need to ask yourself, do I truly know Christ? It's the most important question we can ask. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your word tonight. Thank you for true saving faith that is seen in action. God, thank you that you made us alive. When we think about what you've actually done in our lives, that you have brought us out of darkness and into light, that you have made us alive. We were dead and you have made us alive. How could we ever think to hide that? Lord, there should be signs of life, true life, and each one of us, if we truly know you. And so I pray that we would be, even as James encouraged earlier in his letter, doers of the word and not hearers only, that we would be those that would glorify you with our bodies, that we would produce works, fruit, that would be in accordance with true repentance and with true salvation, and that we would be seen to a watching world as those that are workers of righteousness and not evil, and that you'd receive glory in that. I pray for anybody here who may not know Christ as Savior, Lord, I pray that today they would know Christ. You would transform their heart and mind and that they too would be an ambassador for the Lord. And we wait on you till you come. We serve you until you come. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.